14. Title of the message this evening is Jesus, I Need Some Answers. John chapter 14. I'd like to read verse 4 and 5. Whither I go, all of you know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Look at verse number 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Look at verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou would manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? These men all were saying, Jesus, I need some answers. Let's pray. Father, these are some beautiful passages here in the Gospel of John. For a few moments, I need you to help me to minister this word and ask you to speak to every heart. We're so grateful that your son came into this world and died on the cross for us, and we're happy for the Holy Spirit that comes to help illumine the word of God. Help us to hear, to see, and to believe. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. It is surprising how rarely people read this chapter. In fact, I believe that most people only hear the first few verses at a funeral, usually when someone has died. You've got family members that are grieving and people that are unhappy and the preacher In his wisdom, he's found a very good verse, and he stands up and he says, let not your heart be troubled. That tells us that your heart can enter into a state of disturbance. There are a lot of things that happen in this world that can cause that. You've got cities where they're drive-by shootings. Some people that can't sleep at night worried that someone's going to come through the window or the door. There are people passing through divorce. Murders taking place, people having to deal with drug problems. And when someone opens up the scripture and they're able to come across verse one, I really do believe it speaks clearly to the reader. Now, Jesus is telling him or telling them that pretty soon I'm going to depart. He's not telling them he's going to be separated from them forever. He says, I'm going away and I'm going to be busy while I'm gone because I'm preparing a place for you so that where I go, you can be. And it's obvious that where he's going isn't nearby because later on he tells him, if I don't depart, the Holy Ghost won't come. So Jesus is telling them that preparations are going to be made for our reunion. And he makes it very plain here in the last sentence of verse 3 that where I am, there you may be also. The intent of the Lord is that we would have everlasting union, never to be separated. Now that is comforting. We have a lot of things going on in this world today, and we're, we're separated sometimes. And I, I have to admit, it breaks my heart to see someone who's been married for 
50, 60, 70 years who's been married for so long that they can't even remember what it is to be single. Have to think about them losing a spouse and then waking up that first morning, having to take that first step from the bedroom to the kitchen. And that house seems so lonely to them. But I do know this. There are a lot of people in this world that have had to deal with death. Death is a reality. There are a lot of people that have had to deal with fractured relations. Those fractured relationships are a reality in this world. But that is not the end of the story. The scripture makes it very plain that one day the divine connection is going to be made and we're going to have an unending existence with our Savior. For that alone, that reason alone, we should serve God. To know that one day we'll see him face to face. I often think about this and I liken it to the child that comes into this world. Mom conceives, her womb begins to grow, that baby forms and develops. And pretty soon, mama's talking to that baby, praying over that child. Dad is praying over that baby. Movement is felt inside of mama because of that baby. But that baby does not realize what is really taking place on the outside because they're in a very small place. But one day they're going to come forth from mama's womb. And when they get into this world, mom and dad are going to hold that baby and they're going to be so glad to see that kid. And when those eyes open up, they finally get to see the one that's been singing to them all these past months. They've come from a smaller world into a much bigger world, and they are absolutely surprised by it all. Well, it's not going to be any different when you think about the fact that we're living in this world now, guided by the hand of God, guided by his precious word, hearing his voice faintly from time to time as he's speaking to us about a variety of different things. But one day we're going to see him as he really is. And on the other side of your last breath, you're going to step into eternity and you're going to enter into a world that's much more grander than the world we're living in right now. Everything is going to be different. It's Jesus who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thomas listened to all of this. He, he couldn't quite understand or comprehend everything the Lord was saying. So he had to ask the question here. Look, we don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus, listening to this disciple, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the key. Thomas, I've been with you all of this time. I'm absolutely stunned that you have to ask a question like that. I am the way. You might think that's a fairly dogmatic assertion for Jesus to make, but let's never forget when he made it, there were all kinds of religions in the earth. The Greco-Roman religions were acknowledged by thousands of people around the Mediterranean. There are all kinds of Africans involved with black magic and animism, which is the worship of trees and rocks, believing that spirits inhabit those different parts of creation. There were even thousands of Hindus to the east of Israel. 
and also thousands of Buddhists. We don't know how many other religions there were, but yet Jesus makes the statement, I am the way. Now there are people that have discussions and they wonder, why would God do that? I don't understand with all of these people on this earth, with all of these different cultures and the different beliefs and customs and rituals and traditions that people have, why would God say that there is only one way to heaven? I think we're asking the wrong question. What we need to be asking is, why would God create anyway? He made mankind, put us on the earth, seven billion people on the planet. Most of them shake their fist at God, ignoring God, disregarding God. Why would God make any pathway for us to get to him? He sees us in our sin. He sees us in our rebellion. But his love for us is so great. He has at least provided a way. And Jesus has explained to us that he is that way. That you can't get to God, except you come by him. People don't like that, but it doesn't change the truth of it. He said, I am the truth. All other doctrines, all other teachings are incomparable to who I am. And when you set them beside me, Muhammad has no claims on your soul. And when you set the other teachings of this world of atheism against me, atheism has no claim on your soul. I am the truth, Jesus said. He said, I'm the life. Now, life, of course, is the cure for all ills, sickness and disease in a, in, a, in, a, in a variety of ways is nothing but what we call incipient death. It's death slowly at work in our bodies. But life is able to drive that out. That's why scripture says he's able to quicken our mortal bodies. How could Jesus come up out of the grave? Because life was greater than death. Well, you can't get order out of chaos and from nothing you can only get nothing. So only living creatures can produce living entities. And of all of God's creation, human beings are the only species that can give birth to that which is eternal. It's not a dolphin or an insect on this planet that can bring into this world something that will be here forever. But every baby that comes into this earth realm has an eternal destiny. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you're connected to him, whatever's in the vine will be in the branches. Whatever is in him is going to flow forth through us. And life is something that it's hard to control and contain. That's why when you see parents with the little ones, they're trying to hold them and the little one is up and on daddy or somebody's lap and might be looking at people, sticking out their tongue, waving their hands, smiling and grinning at people. And then mom or dad will say, don't do that. And then they'll sit there for a little while. Then before you know, the hand is shaking and they're back to looking at people again because that life is uncontrollable in them. There is something bubbling forth inside of them. Jesus said, if you're connected with me, you have that same thing. Now, Thomas, of course, he, he listens to this answer, and it's quite, quite startling to him because Jesus makes it even more narrow. He said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, we're all familiar with the two ways. Jesus said, enter into the straight gate, the narrow 
way, the more restricted and confining road. Because he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. You ever thought about that? Just listen to some of the kinds of terms that we use today to describe certain people. They say, well, I just think you ought to be a bit more broad minded. You become too broad minded, folks. I'm telling you, that's going to be a problem. And then when when somebody says, well, you're too narrow minded, other people take that as an insult. I'm saying, well, praise the Lord. Narrow is the way. Because when we're talking about the issue of truth, there are not three truths or four truths. There's only one truth, and it's Jesus. You cannot get to the Father but by him. I didn't say it, folks. It was written in a book when you got up this morning. And it's going to be written in this book long after they buried each one of us that are in here today. So Philip, he's he's listening to this and he's thinking about it all. And the Lord's talking about leaving and he's talking about reunion and he's talking about he's the way. And he's talking about you can't get to the father except you come through him. And then he latched on to that word father. He said, father. He said, well, Lord, show us the father. We'll be happy. And I love Jesus response. Have I been with you so long a time and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. How say you then show us the father? You know what he's saying? He said, how is it that you can have traveled with me, heard me teach, seen the miraculous things taking place, watched me as I've fed the hungry, clothed, the naked, loved people who were unloved. And yet you turn around and say, I have no concept of what the father is like. Philip is like many people. Philip has been in church for years, but still doesn't know God. He's been sitting for years, listening to people minister, hearing people teach, watching people lay hands on the sick. He has been in church and watched it on television, and he still doesn't have a wonderful understanding of who the father is. It can happen to you. Are you that kind of a person? Are you like Philip? Are you the one that's been in church for a long time, but yet when it really comes down to the, the, the nitty gritty of the matter, you don't have a concept of who the father is. The father is someone that loves his children. The father is someone that gave his son to die on the cross for you. We don't want you to spend all of your life in church and then at death, people are still saying you're as mean as a junkyard dog as when you got in here. We don't want that. It has to be the reality of it to know that when we come to meet God, we're ready because we understand who the father is. One preacher had to go visit an elderly preacher one time. This young preacher was in his mid 30s. Older preacher was in his 70s or so. And he got there to his bedside where he was dying. And the old preacher didn't want to die. And the young man was there encouraging him and trying to pray with him. And that old man had tears in his eyes. He just, he just didn't want to leave. He seemed almost to be afraid. And this preacher walked out of the presence of the old man and he said he was disturbed by that. He just began to talk to God and said, God, I don't understand how a man who's preached the gospel for over five decades could come to the end of the road and not want to come meet you and be afraid to come and see you. He's afraid of dying.
And he said he felt like the Lord had kind of whispered to him in his heart and said, there's a man lying in that bed who hasn't done all the things that I've told him to do. And now he knows he's got to come stand before me. I don't want my life to be like that. I want to live this life happily. I want to make it to the other side and stand before the Lord and hear him say, enter ye into the joy of the Lord. You well done. You servant who's done well done or done done well, I should say. I want you to come into the kingdom. That is exactly what I want to hear from God. But for that to occur, the truth of the gospel has to be preached and folks must proclaim it without fear and compromise. Your souls are at stake. Your Christian life is at stake. When a preacher gets up to minister the word of God, there are families that are going to order their steps by what they hear from the pulpit. People are going to conduct business sometime by what they hear the preacher saying about Christian character. I don't want to be the person that preaches and in the end becomes a castaway. And even if I do, and I will pass from this life believing in the Lord, I want to leave this life happily and joyfully. That's how I want to leave. One man had a dream one night and he said in the dream it looked like there was just these big, huge, almost like a lake of fire. And he said it looked like it was just belching up flames and embers burning in a different direction. Said he looked up and he saw a man that was running and he looked so tired. He was wearing raggedy clothes that were smoking and on fire and said he would run so far. He'd reach down in that fire, lift somebody up, look him in the face. And then almost with a disgust, like he had the wrong person, throw him down and just keep running and grab the next one. And said, look like he'd been running for a long time. That preacher was disturbed by that dream. Early in the morning, he said, God, what does this mean? What am I looking at? He said, that's a man running through hell looking for the preacher that lied to him. Think about that. Now, that's figurative. But imagine the truth of that, that there are a lot of people that have missed heaven and made hell because of somebody behind this sacred desk. Think of how many souls have been lost because somebody told them there are a thousand ways to reach God. And Jesus said there's only one. I promise you, as sure as you're seated here this evening, that if we could pull back this carpet and get a glimpse into hell for just a few moments, I guarantee you there are people there that would love to have another opportunity to run down an aisle and answer an altar call and get saved. Guarantee it. Yeah. Philip said, Lord, show us the father. Jesus said, look, I've been showing you the father all this time. What have you been watching? What have you been looking at, listening to when I've done all of this teaching, when we've had our meals and fellowship and we've laughed and joked and we've ministered to people that were in sin and seen them come out of their iniquity? What have you been seeing? said, Lord, if you just show us the Father. Well, Philip, he didn't understand everything. Thomas didn't understand everything. But in verse 22, neither did a gentleman by the name of Judas. He said, how in the world are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the sinners, not to the world? 
he had been listening to Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments. He listened to Jesus say in verse 19, yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. And the key to the answer to his problem is in verse 26. He said, the Holy Ghost, the comforter will come whom the father will send. He will teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance. You realize that God, the Holy Ghost talks to believers, not to sinners, unless he's rebuking them or bringing conviction upon them to yield to Christ. But God communicates with us as believers We have advantages that sinful people don't have. If you're born of the Spirit and you're in the kingdom of God, you're connected with the Holy Ghost because Paul said he that doesn't have the Holy Ghost has none of him. So if you're born of the Spirit, you're in the kingdom of God, baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit, as Corinthians says. So understand that that divine connection gives you privileges to the Heavenly Father. He can communicate with you as you're reading this word. He'll quicken it to your heart. And immediately you'll know this is the verse that is talking to me for the period of time I'm living in. And if God wants to, he can very simply just bring back to your remembrance scriptures that you learned before or maybe even a message you heard somebody give talking about God. Judah said, how in the world are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You realize that years ago, decades ago, Back in the late 60s, when we sent people up there to the moon, it took approximately seven minutes for a message to go up. Yeah. But look at how fast God can talk to us now. We've got satellites up there in the atmosphere now. You can watch stuff as it's happening in real time all over this earth. Technology has progressed and brought about all kinds of blessing. God has never had a hard time communicating with you and communicating with me. And if there's something God wants to say to you, he can say it to you without anybody else even knowing about it. This is why people are running from God. They run from God because they're under conviction. And because of the conviction, they, they, they take off and they try to move away from God. But where can you flee from his presence? If God puts his finger in your chest and he says, look, this is the issue that I have with you and you've got to deal with. It. And you decide you want to turn this way. That finger is still there. If you decide to take two steps back, that finger is still there. David said, I cannot escape the presence of the Lord. If I had wings, I couldn't get away from him. If you buried me, I'd still have to deal with him. There's no place you can go to escape the conviction of God. Because the Spirit of God only convicts where there's evidence of guilt. Some people, they'll say things like, um, You know, I just don't know why you have to preach your convictions. Well, what else is there to preach? I'm convicted by everything I preach. My conviction is that it's true. And some people may say that to you when you're talking to them about Christianity. They say, well, I don't know why you've got to preach your convictions to me. Well, because I believe my convictions. 
The Spirit of God has told me in my heart what I'm saying is true. Jesus is the only way. There's no way to the Father except by him. And if you want to have a relationship with the Father, you've got to come through him. That's not merely a statement that we're saying. It's, it's, it's a truth and a fact that's proclaimed in Scripture. One young man said to an old preacher, after listening to him preach, he said, how, how can you be so positive about all of this? And old Lester Summerall looked at the young man and said, because I'm positive, son. I'm positive. There's some things you just have to know. And when you know them in your heart, you won't be moved by what anybody says. But if, if you kind of go back and forth on what's right and what's wrong, then your convic convictions will shift like waves in the water. And pretty soon you'll be doing this and you'll be doing that. But if you stand firm, you don't have to worry. But conviction comes to those who run from God and conviction comes to those who are away from God. Let's not forget the story of Jonah. Here's a man that was in Israel and quite happy with where he was, had a pretty undisturbed existence, preached the word as God said, preach. And then one day the word of the Lord came to him and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great big metropolis over there, and I want you to preach the word of God to them. Jonah got to thinking about that. He said, I don't like Assyrians. I don't even want to go to Assyria. May not even like their food. I'm happy to stay here in Israel. Why, why do I have to leave? God said, go to Nineveh. He got up to leave, but he didn't go to Nineveh immediately. He made his way northward, headed straight to, to, uh, to the port city and going to make his way heading, heading out to Spain. He got to the, the port city up there and he looked around. He didn't see any Israelites that knew that he thought knew him. And sure enough, he climbed board the ship after he had paid the fare. And once they pulled the anchor up and the vessel started making its way out there in that beautiful Mediterranean Sea, the weather was amazing. Oh, my, I'm telling you, it was a cruise liner. Jonah got up there, brought his little fold-in chair. He laid that thing out. He said, this is going to be a smooth ride to Tarshish. Pulled out that suntan lotion, started putting that stuff all over his arm as he was reclining. And then he noticed the cloud cover was changing a little bit. The temperature dropped and pretty soon the boat was rocking a little bit more because the waters were a bit unsteady. He saw people running around trying to do what they could to steady the vessel. He, did, he wasn't worried about it at all. He thought this is all going to pass. He said, you gentlemen keep doing what you're doing. I believe I'll put that lotion on the other arm now. He went on and did that, and pretty soon the waves got bigger and bigger. They started splashing into the boat. People are running past him with buckets trying to heave water out of it, and even he's concerned now. And you know it was bad when the captain came sliding down the deck, and he said, if you know God, call on one. Everybody started crying out to their God. It had grown dark. The wind was blowing strongly. People's hearts were troubled in the boat because when you think that death is certain or even if it's a possibility, you get a bit nervous. And Jonah, understanding what the problem was, he said, look, all of this is going on because I'm running away from God. And I'm telling you, he said, if you folks throw me 
into the water, all of this trouble is going to cease. Now, when he said, if you throw me into the water, all the trouble is going to cease. You better believe that when he got to the end of the sentence, four people had him and they were tossing him in the air. I'm telling you, before he ever even got in that water good, a great fish jumped up and snatched him, did a loop and went back down in that water. And everything in that boat said, I'm not going for a swim out here today. Mr. Jonah was in the belly of a fish. And there was peacetime up there for the ones on board the vessel. Jonah, as the scripture says in chapter two of that book, then he thought it was a very good idea to cry out to God. Oh, don't you just love it? Oh, I love it. You, you, some people are not going to call on Jesus name until trouble comes. And the Bible says that Jonah was down there and in the belly of the fish and he's got seaweed wrapped all around his head and he begins to plead with God. Oh, God, help me. He doesn't even know what all is taking place, where that fish is going. But we know that Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so must the son of man be in the heart of the earth and then be raised again. So Jonah is praying and talking to God. That fish is making its way through the Mediterranean, heading down a few canals and gulfs here and there. And somewhere along the, the, the Nineveh shore, Jonah gave that fish a bellyache. I'm not trying to imply that some of you are a pain. I'm just telling you that Jonah in that fish, that fish experienced a bellyache or something because he quickly expurgated Jonah out of his mouth onto that land. And when Jonah came out of there, I'm telling you, he was like a resurrected, revived man. Fish, guts and all on him. Nineveh never looked so good to him. And the Bible says he went a day or so into the city. That tells you how big the place was. You, you, you walk 12 or 13 hours and you still haven't made it to the center. That's a pretty big place in ancient times. And when he got into that city, he said, folks, I'm telling you right now, you'll never know what all I had to go through to get here. So hear my word now, repent or the Lord's going to judge this place. And looking like he looked and smelling like he smelled, they probably all decided it'd be best to get on our knees and cry out to God. God's word weighed heavily on their heart, and the Bible says an entire city repented and got right with God. Now, here's the key that I wanted to emphasize in that story that deals with Judas's question, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Everything that Jonah went through in the belly of that fish... Them people on that vessel that he had been sailing on, they had no idea what God was doing. The whole time that Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the people in Nineveh had not experienced it nor even heard what God was saying to Jonah when he was telling them to go there. If God wants to communicate with you, he can talk to you without telling anybody else about it. 
And if God's trying to deal with your heart about anything, if he's wrestling with you about this or wrestling with you about that, you can sit next to people and they'll never be able to tell by the expression of your face or by the posture of your body that you're having sleepless nights and God's dealing with you. They'll never know. Because the belly of the fish looks different for you than it do, does for me. And when God is manifesting himself and he's ministering to you as he is to me, then the only people that will know about it will be the ones being dealt with. Jesus said in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. My father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You know, it's easier to obey. It's just easier. Just avoid the storm. Just avoid the fish story. Just obey God. If you do that, things work out better because on the other side of obedience, there's a blessing. And so many people, they think because they are the, the loved or beloved of God, that God will just put up with anything for as long a period of time as that human being believes that God ought to put up with it. But it doesn't ever work like that. If you're facing a, a battle right now or you're facing something, you've got questions. God has answers. He does. But you've got to be willing to realize that as he's answering the question, you've got to draw close to him. Don't ever pull back. The one thing I'll say about Job in closing is this. Job went through all the trouble that he went through. And if you listen to every statement that he made, he never even knew the devil was involved with the story. Had no idea. But he also never had any idea that he was going through all of that because God was bragging on him. Never knew that either. But I love the fact that as you work your way from chapter one all the way going up into the 40s, you get to the end and you realize one thing. He's had to contend with one messenger after another that told him he's lost something. He had to contend with best friends that came from afar that accused him of things that he did not believe he was guilty of. He had to contend with a wife that said, we've lost all of our possessions. Why don't you stop this charade? Curse God and fall over dead. It'd be better for me and for you. He had to contend with all of that. But you know what he never, ever did? He never lost God. He never lost God. He embraced God. He held on to God. And when he didn't have an answer to every question, in the end, when the solution finally came, He still had God. He had God when he didn't have the answer. He had God when the question began, but he never lost God. Folks, don't walk away from God because that is exactly what the devil wants you to do. You turn your back on the king. I'm telling you, it's nothing but trouble. Bad news ahead. Bad news ahead. I don't have answers for a whole lot of people. I can only tell you Jesus is the answer. God will help you. He'll walk you through anything. But just be prepared to stand in faith and trust God because he will help you. Amen. Isn't it good to serve somebody like that? Wow. So much better to have him on the throne than for one of us to be on the throne. Come on, let's stand this evening. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all.